If you want to support our podcast financially, please visit patreon.com slash IIMBSB. Also, email us with questions or ideas at ifimaypodcast at gmail.com. On today's episode, we speak with author and family constellation therapy facilitator Minachi. We hear about the practice of family constellation therapy and the kind of healing it can bring. We also explore the idea of intergenerational trauma and why it's important to consider if you need to express yourself authentically or if you really just need to be heard. Welcome to If I May Be So Bold, a podcast about relationships. The ones we have with others, the one we have with ourselves. And given that Dan and I are a couple, you're going to be hearing about our relationship too. I'm Dan Epstein, a recording artist, former opera singer, and relational coach. I'm Justin Waring Crane, a therapist, recovering perfectionist, and karaoke star. Minachi is a facilitator and somatic practitioner whose work centers the softness of meeting our best self and deepening into our collective light. Using a blend of family constellation therapy and nonviolent communication, she weaves workshops in which participants are invited to reconnect with the intuitive wisdom of our bodies and co-create intergenerational healing by changing the way we speak to ourselves, each other, and the universe. Minachi holds a clinical license in occupational therapy and has historically served communities impacted by gender-based violence, complex trauma, and serious mental illness. She's the author of the book Decolonizing Nonviolent Communication, published in 2019. Um, yeah, so I think, um, we have some idea of where we want to start, but maybe can you tell us like what nonviolent communication means to you, like in this moment? Yeah, I can. I think I'll also say my work is really shifting away from NVC. It's like really shifting to the family constellation stuff. Um, so I would have a lot more joy talking about that. Yeah. I'm down. Great. Yeah, I'm noticing. Uh-huh. I uh, hang on. Let me let me see what's coming. Um it's so interesting because like so I think you know, I think the places and I can talk about the interweaving. So in terms of nonviolent communication, um I think about NVC as really speaking from a place that's authentic, like what we mean. And it can be hard to figure that out. It can be hard to figure that out by ourselves. Um, and I think it's where all the intergenerational trauma comes up in relationships because we say things in relationships we don't mean. <laughs> we like, and we may, we choose relationships that aren't good for us, but there's a way in which that is authentic, right? I am authentically choosing this relationship. I am authentically in this pattern. I am authentically co-creating this dynamic. So then what does it mean? You know, it gets messy. Um, and I think 
probably one of the reasons that I'm going more towards the somatic and intergenerational healing work is because it feels freer to me. I'm finding a lot of freedom in it. Mm. What does freedom look like for you? The first words that came to mind were, it looks like liking ourselves, liking myself. It feels like being able to breathe. Um, it feels like, feels like feeling like we have a choice. Like I'm not choosing based on something that's pre-programmed into my system. Even though a lot of things are pre-programmed or, you know, we're all conditioned or something like that. But feeling like my choice is aligned to a really good life. You're really like, you're really getting my wheels turning. Um, (laughs) When was the last time you found yourself feeling not free oh my God. in a relationship. <laughs> 10 so minutes ago. I was, I, was, I was telling Dan, I think when we talked yesterday, mm-hmm. um, I just got dumped and it's heartbreaking. Oh. And like, um, or maybe did I not tell you that? Mm-hmm. Oh no, I didn't tell you that. Oh. I told you that like, that I facilitate all this stuff, but I'm a mess in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yes. Unless you, maybe so. you also told me non-verbally. Oh yeah, it's possible. (laughs) Um, So it's been really interesting. It's been interesting for me, like thinking about being on this podcast and then going, like having, seeing clients where I am facilitating Mm -hmm. deep work with them and then walking around like in between, like this weird sort of like robot where I'm not fully in my body because my body is still like metabolizing the breakup um, Mm. and making meaning out of it. So there's that answer. Oh, yeah. yeah. And if we, you just want to cry and yeah, <laughs> let <do>. the tears <laughs> flow, <laughs> it's really So that's the here. end of the talking part of the <laughs> yeah. interview. The next will just be sobbing for about 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. It's so funny. You, you're talking about making sense of the story and metabolizing it. Our, the last episode of our last season was about how the story of a relationship changes in real time and how the story at the beginning of the relationship, there's like these key sort of moments or components of who the people in the relationship are that can kind of create the story of what the relationship is. And then when a relationship ends, the story most likely changes. Um, Is that something you're experiencing? I think I'm not sure yet what I'm experiencing. Um, but it reminds me of this piece. Andrea Gibson is a poet that I really love. And, um, they just released this really beautiful piece. And, um, uh, actually, I don't know that it was a piece. I think it was just an IG live, um, where they were talking about how their therapist kind of said, um, you know, what if, what if the honeymoon phase, like the beginning of their relationship is actually the truth. And then everything that comes after are like the lies you build on to each other about who you really are. Um, Mm. And it kind of reminds me of that because the stories we tell about the other person are so beautiful when we start Mm. and they get really bedraggled by the end or they can. (gasps) Bedraggled, such a good word. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I really like that, especially because, you know, I, in this process of doing the podcast, I'm finding myself, I'm noticing the ways in which I'll use sort of pretty down the middle ideas of therapy and psychology to make sense of things. And obviously there's more than one truth. It's not just like, okay, this is how we understand them from like sort of a therapist perspective. 
And it's true. Like the, I think the working understanding I have is that, oh yeah, falling in love is kind of a trick your nervous system plays on you. And then you're tested later on in the relationship to see if you really can be a giving partner, even when it's not all feeling so easy and flowing so naturally. But I really like hearing that. When you're, whatever you're willing to share, because I know it's a really tender time, but um, when you think about grief or just when you feel grief, how does the work that you've done with NVC, with nonviolent communication and with family constellations, how does that inform your grief practice? Ooh. I think one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot, um, we know when a relationship is coming to its close, or we know when a dynamic isn't healthy, or we know when we're just not being seen and held with like, Guys, I wasn't supposed to cry, oh. but also I'm a cancer. I'm going to cry all the time. It's a po- yes. I mean, yes. the, Somebody I saw yesterday was a Pisces and they were just like bawling within five seconds. And I was like, that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah. We just know. Right. And then even when we know it is so hard to make the decision that we know is in alignment with our best interests or alignment with our heart or all of those things. And so. I think for myself, I've really been thinking a lot and I haven't yet facilitated, I haven't yet facilitated a piece of family constellation work for myself. I will often do that, um, to gain a bit of clarity. Um, but it's always, it's like always the question of like, whose pattern am I reliving? Like, right. Because the, the patterns, particularly, I think the patterns that we embody, around love, right? Like if we think about like love is is ancient, like (laughs) love is forever. Love is all time. Love is everything. So if we have unhealthy patterns related to love, you can bet your bottom dollar. They were not originated in this lifetime. That shit is epigenetic. It has come down. There's messy things happening. And so it's like, whose patterns am I replaying? Mm -hmm. And what do I need to let go of? Or whose baggage do I need to sort of set down so that we can choose the good things? Mm -hmm. So for people who don't know what family constellation therapy is, um, could you break that down a little bit? And, you know, the only exposure I've had to it is from that Love, Sex and Goop (laughs) episode, (laughs) which got me like so fired up. I was like, I need to know about this. And then I didn't really research it very much. So tell us. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so grateful for that show because everybody has it as a reference point. It's like, great. You know, (laughs) Um, so family constellation therapy is this modality where the premise of family constellation therapy is that if you are experiencing some sort of stuckness or blockage in your current life, it is very, very likely that it is related to a piece of ancestral blockage or an ancestral stuckness, which you have inherited. And so if we can do a bit of exploration and a bit of somatic work to understand where the block is, um, we can release it so that you can live the life that's yours to live. And I think the other thing that I'll say is that um, 
it's the premise that when trauma happens, um, the flow of love and protection gets interrupted in the sense that the ideal flow of love and protection is for an older generation to love and tend to a younger generation. And that when trauma happens, an older generation may not be able to do that. And so then what happens is that the younger generation takes on a caregiving role and attempts to flow love upstream and attempts to take care of everybody else. And in the process of doing that, we'll also pick up the baggage that's like not actually ours to care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like in practice? Um, I mean, does it look like it looks in that episode? <laughs> oh, it can. Yeah. Okay. And also I'll tell you, I just had a light bulb because the light bulb that I had is like, I know that in my lineage, um, very, very few people got to choose love. Like I come from a lineage where love, love is not really, uh, love is not a focus in partnerships. Um, functionality is a focus in partnerships. So for me, it was interesting. I'll do a piece of work for myself later around what does it mean to choose love and what are the blockages that my system has around choosing love. Um, and then functionally, the way it looks. So it can look like the way people have seen it on Sex Love Goop, um, which is in a big space with lots of people. And I love facilitating that type of work. Um, with the pandemic, a lot of facilitators began facilitating online. And what I have found is that online work is surprisingly transformative. And like, there's been some deep, profound work that that has ha- that I have both been a part of and facilitated that's just had amazing um, outcomes. And then sometimes when I work individually with people, um, it might be like like me and the client um, stepping in as representatives, or more often than not, I'll guide the client in using objects. Um, and for folks who haven't seen Sex, Love, and Goo, basically um, with family constellation work, you name something that you're wanting to unstuck or wanting to kind of figure out. So if I'm using myself as an example, I'll say I, I would like to feel like I have a choice in my relationships or feel like I have access to choosing love. And then we'll bring in what are called representatives. Um, So might be a representative for me, might be a representative for my relationship to love, then possibly bringing in representatives for people from my lineage um, and seeing sort of what information emerges. And these representatives, like you said, could be an object, but it could be a stranger, right? Who has volunteered to be part of the group. Mm-hmm. How do you know? Is there something that happens when you know, like something really important is being presenced mm-hmm. when you're actually facilitating? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's like the way a, a lot of us know things, right? It's like a gut feeling, or like you can feel it. Oh, like oh, that hits. Like earlier when you mm-hmm. were like, my wheels are turning and stuff. It's like you can just feel it in your body when stuff is starting to happen. And I think um, for me as a facilitator also, that's really what I listen to in terms of where are we going? How deep are we going? Where do we need to go next? And sort of like what needs to happen to bring us home? Could you talk a little bit about um, why you're sort of wanting to move away 
from nonviolent communication, what that's been like? Mm. There's a lot of different reasons there. I think a big piece is because the healing work of family constellation therapy um, is so transformative. And I think it's also not intellectual at all. It's so somatic. And there's a lot of things that our brains, there's a lot of ways our brains interfere. Um, and the way that I teach NBC and the way that I facilitate nonviolent communication is very somatic, is very somatic. Um, but family constellation work leaves like absolutely no room for, I shouldn't say that. There's always room for everything, but there's less room. Um, it's just less theoretical. Um, and it is very concretely about healing. You mentioned um, when we first spoke, this idea that's really resonant to you that our ancestors want us to be happy. Totally. How did you come start kind of thinking about that? I didn't think about that. That came up in family constellation work when I was studying. And it was like so apparent that all our ancestors want is actually for us to be happy. Um, and in the course of constellation work, what happens is the traumas that they have experienced that have often remained hidden get to be named. And once they are actually named and not kind of like stuffed under the rug, it's like they get to be cleared. Um, and then oftentimes what happens um, is there's really deep accountability work that happens. I've seen lots of different ancestors or family members like representatives of make very sincere apologies for the ways that they failed to protect or for the ways in which they explicitly caused harm or the ways in which they um, forced, they like um, forced codependent behaviors onto their children or um, forced kids into like, um, like extreme religious spaces that were not actually healthy. I've seen Lots and lots and lots of representatives for parents, family members, caregivers apologize because um, we all know the math of like hurt people hurt people. Yeah. So once like that hurt gets to get acknowledged um, uh, in a safe container, then the apology can also happen. Wow. That must be so beautiful to get to see that. <laughs> <laughs> so oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that I've seen, I've noticed a lot of people who clearly really want that apology from someone, you know, like people who are really in pain and sort of thinking that their childhood wounds um, can get healed still somehow from, by the people who caused them. And that can kind of be a difficult cycle. And this is really the only thing I've heard of that's like another alternative besides just being like coming to the point of like, okay, I'm not going to get that apology. That person's not going to, like, I can't keep going to the well. Yeah. I think it's really important. And it's one of the reasons that I love it also. Um, the very first constellation that I ever participated in, I actually came in as a representative for someone who had really extremely harmed their younger siblings. 
And by the end of the constellation, the representative that I was holding was offering a really deep apology. And the reality is, um, we sometimes don't get those in life. Um, sometimes people have passed, like abusers have passed away, so it's not even possible anymore. Um, or they're old and have dementia, you know, all different reasons, but where it just isn't a safe avenue to pursue, um, which is why I think it has been so powerful because there's a way in which having access to those words and actually hearing them on some level is tremendously healing. It's so cool that that can work. You know, that it's, <laughs> it doesn't have to be from the person <laughs> that harmed you to have the same impact. Right. That's so cool. Yeah. What does it feel like when you did that first constellation and, um, you had used this, um, phrase that the representative that you were holding, you were like hosting this representative in your body. What was that like? Like what was coming up and how did that feel? Yeah. Um, so family constellation work is really based on body sensations. So when you step in as a representative, you'll begin to experience body sensations and you don't have to make sense out of the body sensations, but the facilitator, oftentimes when you share the body sensations, they'll make a lot of sense to the seeker, like the client. I've had times when I'm facilitating and the client has been like, how did you know that that's exactly how I feel like in my body when I'm in that situation? Um, but the facilitator's role then is to sort of use the information that representatives are sharing, um, and then sort of navigate, create story arc for the seeker, for the client to, that is based upon what the client has said they want to achieve with the, with the piece of work. I was listening to one of the more recent um, Esther Perel, Where Should We Begin episodes, and I think you would really like it, but one of the the women who was in the therapy session was talking about how her ancestors wanted her to be happy and trying to heal, you know, for herself was, they were like celebrating that. and she wanted to do a ritual around it and have people in the room who were representing her ancestors, you know, it's like so cool. It's lovely. Makes me think of this. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I'm wondering about, let's, I'll go back to nonviolent communication, but when you talk about trusting your body, what has that journey been like for you? Something I struggle with. Oh, Ooh, I think it's, I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with. And I think that, um, I think it's probably one of the things that I'm struggling with more currently, like in this kind of like breakup phase, right. And the way that my body is clinging to the old relationship. Um, and I think I am somebody neurologically the way I'm wired. I like I need more, like more input, more music, more dance, more fast, more this, more that. 
So I've always been someone who's like looked for sensory input. Um, and, and because of that, like my body's always been kind of like cueing me in about whether I have enough or not. I think that, um, for a lot of people, it's the opposite. A lot of people are overwhelmed by sensory information and because we often have less control over our environments than we want to, the sort of result there is a numbing out or a dissociation. Um, whereas like for me, my sensory system is I want more. And so then I go get more for a lot of people who need less and are not able to like tamp it down. Then it's like a checking out, which then makes it really hard <laughs> to like find your way back in, or it needs to be done in like gentler, quieter environments. It's interesting, like thinking about the family constellation and thinking just like the image of a constellation, right? Is like there, there's relationships between each of the parts, right? There's different relationships, different dots being connected. And it's making me think of something we, we, we talk about Justin and I sometimes in relationships of like tending to play certain roles in relationships. Um, I'm curious for you, like, do you tend to play a certain role in friendships or in romantic relationships? And has that evolved over time? Yeah, definitely, definitely evolved. Um, I think because I, because I am a cancer, I like remember people's birthdays and I'll always try and call if we haven't, you know, talked in a long time and that sort of thing. And I've certainly gotten better at being observant um, and just being more attuned to like the relationships where there's like a reciprocity and an ease around that so that there's just a lot more like joy and flow in how we're connecting. And I think in relationships, um, both as like a femme person and also as like cancers are like really overbearing maternal types. Um, I've certainly done a lot of in like romantic dynamics that's like unhealthy, not mine to do, pushing stuff onto other people. Um, I think I did a lot of that in this last relationship. And so learning the patterns to do less of that. Um, and I think that also tying it into the NVC, right? We can connect to like the needs for like safety or to be seen or the needs for care beneath all of those behaviors and if we can kind of connect some of the dots we can be like okay well what's a healthier way to get the needs met or what's like even just a more effective way to get the needs met and a lot of times and i'm rambling but like a lot of times also like um because when we think about the word effective um it's really effective to follow a pattern in the sense that it doesn't take energy from us it takes energy to break a pattern. It takes energy to establish a new pattern. It takes energy to sit with the discomfort while new relationships or new neural pathways are forming. So it can feel really ineffective at the beginning of a new pattern um, until you kind of get there on the other side. Yeah, that's interesting. Justin and I talk about in our relationship, sometimes when we get on in like an autopilot kind of zone, we, we refer to that as the lazy river and it's true. It's like, mm. there's not, it's easy in some, in certain ways, it's like the most easy, it's like the least um, strenuous zone to be in, in certain ways. But yeah, that effort is, um, 
of changing patterns is like so painful and like so essential. Yeah. And you spoke about, I heard you on another podcast and you spoke about how you help people to find true, the true words, their own like truest words. Yeah. And I really struggle with that. Uh, As someone who is, you know, had a long history of people pleasing and Mm -hmm. um, sort of managing other people to get what I think I need. Um, it can be hard to hear my own voice, like what I own, my own actual truth. Um, because I'm like seeking love in that way. Um, so how do people start to hear the true words and the true feelings that they have? I think the only way we can start to hear those truths are in sort of collaboration with somebody else, whether that's like a buddy who's helping you figure it out a therapist. I facilitate a lot of that in group containers where there's a lot of group support and group feedback. Um, because if we've been living a lie, (laughs) we've been telling ourselves, this is the way that I can get my needs met when actually that's not the way. And we don't have to be like that or sacrifice our needs in those ways. Um, sort of until we hear it reflected back from somebody else or when, um, like a lot of times I'm thinking about like, work I've done with clients um, is that I'll point out the things that I'm seeing or I'll point out like the shift in vocal tone or the shift in body language and I'll ask them does that feel good right or we'll we'll and we'll do usually do this in the context of a role play um, so we'll ask them if that actually feels good and bring in the awareness in the present moment to where then they can shift and be like oh no something else and then it's like a play space to to find what feels good but it's facilitated because i think again like i think it's really uncomfortable to break a pattern Mm. and if we're kind of like freewheeling then it can feel scary also Yeah. No, that was like in thinking about the work, I was definitely thinking a lot about how finding the true words, yeah, requires you to get comfortable stopping trying to manage outcomes from other people. And like, instead of behaving in certain ways, because you think it'll produce a certain thing from someone being okay, saying what's actually true and what you actually need and letting go of the illusion that you can control other people. Yeah. Um, what I'm really curious about is how do you think about letting someone else know when they've caused harm? Mm. When you, you're observing something harmful that's happening from someone else's behavior, how do you tend to interact with that? Um, so for context, is it harm that you see somebody else causing to somebody else? Or is it harm that somebody is causing that you are experiencing? I'm really interested in both both scenarios because okay. I've definitely yeah. struggled with both. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. And I've been on all ends of that spectrum. Um, and what I can say is, is that the times when I've seen things be sort of the most powerful and the most transformative are when we're communicating from 
a somewhat regulated or supported space. Um, I think it can be really hard. Let's do this maybe one at a time. Um, so I think it's always good to let somebody know when they're causing harm or impact. Um, because nobody wants that to be happening. I think that when we see it happening, um, and it's happening to somebody else, um, it's like a beautiful thing to do. It can get tricky depending on the context if the other person actually wants us to intervene or not. And like all the questions about like, what is our relationship to all the parties involved in a way that actually makes the most sense. And I think also just using your own sort of like your own compass of what feels right and in alignment to do. And then I think when someone is causing harm and impact to us, it depends. I think the really big mitigating factor is if you think that the person is intentionally causing harm, because I think if you believe that there is an intention to hurt, then there's all sorts of questions about like safety. And also if somebody is intending to cause harm, um, yelling at them or telling them to stop isn't going to make it stop, you know? Um, on the flip side of that, if you have a sense that like someone's not intending to cause harm, but like the behavior and things they're doing are shitty or just not working, then I think it is important to really get resourced and be able to communicate it in a way that, um, mm, the thing that I always say about communication is it's always a question of whether um, you want to express yourself fully, if that's the need you're trying to meet, or if the need that you want to be, have met is to be heard, right? Because if you, what you want is to be heard, then it requires you taking on the labor of communicating in the way that the other person can hear you, which has a lot of different layers to it, right? If that's what you want, if that's your primary need, if your primary need is just to express yourself authentically, right? I'm done with this behavior. I just want to get this shit off my chest. Say whatever the fuck you want to say, you know, but I think the trap people fall into is that people try to meet both needs at the same time and doesn't, it just doesn't always work. It's in, in the best of relationships. Yes. But in most relationships, we have to prioritize one or the other. So pick and choose. But if I think, yeah, where I see like stuff getting messy is when people want to express themselves authentically and just like say whatever they want to say. Um, and then are frustrated that the other person can't hear them, which is I'm like that is frustrating. But it's like, what is what are you wanting to do in this moment? Um, and then choose your strategy. Oh, my gosh. That's so helpful. That's, I never had thought about that before. Like that there's a difference, you know, between wanting to express your, needing to express yourself fully versus needing to be heard. And yeah, that's so cool that I feel like that can really change, um, the way, the way you communicate, the way that you interact and approach a situation and even express to the other person, like my need now is to just express myself fully. I don't need you to hear me, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. so that's cool. Wow. And I think it also gets trickier in the context of like relationships when we don't know what we need. Right. And then it's like our communication is sort of 
without an anchor. Oh my gosh. It's so, that's so hard. Um, I know it's, it's been really hard for me to figure out. Yeah. What it is I really need. Um, what's, what's your, what's been your experience with that getting in touch with what your needs are, what your, and what your desires are. The theme that's been coming up recently is spaciousness. So having space to actually think or space to actually feel. Yeah. Mm. And then also having loved ones who will help you figure it out. Do you struggle? You spoke about also on the other podcast I heard the, uh, interacting with family members who you see as trapped in old, more harmful patterns. Yeah. Um, that is so tricky. You know, because yeah. it's like you, because you get involved in way and you get sucked back in sometimes Yeah, when you do that. So like, do you have a compass for yourself around that? Like of, of hiding? <laughs> <laughs> They're shaking their head like, no. I know my parents are really in it right now. And I feel myself yeah. starting to get sucked. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do to get myself out of this whirlpool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. And so easy to feel like you want other people to see the world the way you see it. And that can be a a trap in itself. Or at least for them to acknowledge that they want to see the world the way they want to see it. (laughs) The way they want to see it is making them miserable. (laughs) Just acknowledge that you want to live there. Fine. (laughs) Stop asking me to come. Oh, yeah. That sucks. Right. To them, oftentimes, it's not a perspective. It's this is the way the world is, you know? Yeah. Wow. Uh. I'll share a question that often comes up, which is like people will often ask like, well, what do you do? I think especially with NVC, if like the other person isn't also learning these tools and they don't have to. I think when we're learning tools together, it definitely makes communication easier. But if you are learning the tools, the idea is at least the way that I teach NBC, it's so that you can express yourself authentically and it's so that you can attune to the conversation in order to then be able to communicate in a way that assesses and gets your needs met. It's not like blankly walking into a conversation and like using some sentence structures and assuming that now people will listen to you because they won't, right? Like, like getting a gauge of the room and assessing, okay, what are my needs? Is this an actual environment where I can get my needs met? If it is possibly, how can I sort of just like tweak or reframe or shape my language so that it's still honest, but it doesn't um, shame or blame or make other people defensive? Is there anybody's work, anybody else's work that you're really, really stimulated by right now? Oh, yeah. Um, There's a couple people I've just started following on Instagram. Um, one is Aisha who does astrology readings on Instagram. She's both Oracle. And then there's, um, Simone Grace, Simone Grace soul. Um, also on Instagram, um, whose work I'm really loving Ashley Bodan, who's the, it's a lot of business related stuff. She does like gentle business and things around like mitigating self-sabotage, which is really beautiful. Um, and then a couple other people, my friend Josie runs, um, she teaches things around um, like fertility and queerness and, and just signed up to take their class. Um, 
And there's another teacher named King Ya, whose work I really respect and also doing. Um, there's like a reproductive loss class that I'm hoping to be able to take in summer. And that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Our music is by Nightlight. We self-produce this podcast, so please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps.